Okay, welcome to CineLit. Uh, today, we are looking at the career of Kathleen Turner, one of the perennial headliners of 1980s and early 90s cinema. Uh, I'm the star of one of my personal favourite films. Uh, my name is Adam Marsh, I'm your host today, and I'm joined, as ever, by CineLit's resident expert, Daryl Buxton. How are you, Daryl? I'm fine, Adam. Kathleen Turner has been one of the great American stars of the past 40 years, so uh, really looking forward to talking about her and her films. Yeah, it kind of feels like she'd been she'd been forgotten a little bit, and in, in the sort of like, usually the, these actors and actresses get brought back for doing stuff, you know, later on in their career and start filling out roles in Marvel movies and DC. And uh, Kathleen Turner's not really done that. She's 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 stoutly uh, refused to do that kind of thing and gone straight to the stage and has been on the stage pretty much for the last twenty years. Yeah, I think right from the start of her career, you could always tell, you know, when you saw her in in those early films, you, you, you could tell that um, she was someone who had her own mind and was going to follow her career the way she wanted to. And I think she largely has done. And um, she's done the stuff she wanted to do. And whether it was a hit or not, you know, and she's had some some things that haven't worked and haven't been successes, I think they've always been things that she's wanted to do. So she's very, very much of her own mind and and, and not taking orders from Hollywood, So, which, which is great, you know. I think uh, when we, we first started talking about doing uh, an episode about Kathleen Turner, um, usually we look at these, when we look at actors, uh, we look at like five films of their career and try and bring other films into their, into it as we discuss it. Or we go through like a chronological uh, idea of, of, of how we look at these actors. With 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 Kathleen Turner, it's kind of a different thing. She tends to do three types of movies as we were looking, particularly during that sort of like thirteen year period where she was like you know a listing headlining uh, Hollywood movies. She tends to do sort of like adventure movies, you know, a view romancing the stone types. She does thrillers like Body Heat, V. Wachowski, uh, you know, those kind of things. Prizzy's Honor, or she does like comedies, straight out comedies, you know, um, like. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Undercover Blues, Serial Mom, you know. So she's, she tends to fit into these three categories. So I think we're going to look at her career through genre <laughs> rather than, than than anything else this, this today. So first of all, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll start with, outside of, I guess, I guess outside of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, probably her biggest hit, which is Romancing the Stone, just her third big screen movie. She, she was a hit straight away in cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was which is yeah unusual i think even even back then you know oh yeah i mean we'll talk about body heat in detail later on but that launched her as an instant star yeah and within a couple of years she was doing romancing the stone which was one, one of the big movies of a very big year 1984 which which bought loads and loads of uh, you know it was a, a big sort of blockbuster year in the early days of the blockbuster still as well you know it wasn't uh, it was just starting to sort of emerge as a thing in Hollywood at that time post Jaws and post The Exorcist and so on in the 70s yeah Romancing the Stone was a smash and she looked in it as though she'd been around for years and years and years she she looked like she'd got the Hollywood experience and had lived the Hollywood life and she's up there on screen with Michael Douglas and she's his equal yeah definitely I mean this movie I mean one of one of my all time favorites. I think Romancing the Stone. You know, it, obviously it, it borrows a lot from nineteen thirties and forties serials and adventure films of that ilk, but distinctly makes it a very eighties film as well. 
You know, it's, it's very much rooted in the 80s. It's not like in Indiana Jones where it's 1940s, you know, 1950s. You know, that, that, that's the setting. They've set yeah. it in the modern era and create, recreated that, that adventure film feeling. Exactly. You know, what, what we've got here, it's, uh, it's, it's basically pitched somewhere in between the African Queen and the Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Dorothy Lamore road series. It's sort of a, a, a cousin of those and it sits nicely in between those. So it harks back to old Hollywood. And this is one thing that I think we're going to say about Kathleen in the podcast today is that a lot of her major roles and a lot of the films that she's best known for are very retro without being consciously retro i think you know it, it, it just seems to be a sort of accident of her career that uh, almost everything she's done has has been something that could have been made 40 years earlier but as you say adam is often set in the modern day but it's still taking that sort of old school style and, and bringing it into the 80s or early 90s. Romancing the Stone's absolutely perfect in, in that respect. And as you say, you've got a direct comparison with the, with the Indiana Jones series that was, uh, that was contemporary. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how much I love Romancing the Stone. I mean, it's just, I, I watched it repeatedly <laughs> as, yeah, as a yeah. kid and as a teenager. And, and just the script for that has been worked to within an inch of its life. The casting is absolutely impeccable and I, I, I can't think of a film that's better cast than romance in the stone because every character you know right right you know it's not just the two the two, the two leads in this that are brilliantly cast because they are brilliantly cast you know michael douglas playing a sort of like roguish thing roguish um adventurer type character and you've got kathleen turner playing the mousy kathleen turner hollywood stunner playing the mousy romance novelist uh but, but pulling it off brilliantly and then you put beyond that, you get like you got Danny DeVito in an arguably star-making role for him on the big screen. You obviously done Taxi and on the TV and things like that, but it's probably the one that helped him become a movie star. Yeah, yeah, that that's back to what we were talking about in the '80s comedy podcast a few months ago, where this was the era in which the 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 bridge between TV and movies became a little bit blurred and it had always been sort of entirely separate. You either appeared on television or you appeared in film and suddenly actors like DeVito were coming through and stepping from one to the other and back again, you know, and, and in his case, even, even eventually directing films and directing Douglas and Turner eventually. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what, what, what a cast it is, as you say, every, every part I think is, uh, played by someone who's absolutely right for the role. They've obviously put a lot of thought into that and put a lot into the casting process. I guess the nature of the story, with it being a road movie, with it being an adventure story where you they are bumping into different characters as they go along in their little quest to find the MacGuffin of the of the um of the, of the emerald, the, the the stone, you know. Uh, you naturally are gonna create these little funny supporting characters yeah Um, you can't you can't get away with just having extras doing that stuff can you so yeah no i mean you could i mean the the guy that stands out for me obviously i think it's for everyone is the drug lord uh criminal boss uh alfonso arau um you know playing juan um the guy who loves joan wilder novels um (laughs) i just uh, every time i see him every time i see him on screen he just elevates the movie with a role that could have easily been just a, 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 just a small little like incidental role, moment where it gets the characters from A to B 
and then you know we move on with the plot but he just like oh wow what a create what a creation yeah yeah now you talked about kathleen playing the sort of mousy novelist which which she does who sort of comes into her own as as the story goes on and shows shows her true colors you know so it is it is the the sort of Catherine hepburn african queen sort of role really you know but um what range that shows so early in her career because she's done body heat already where she's played a completely different type of character you're sort of 1940s classic femme fatale in a, in a film noir or in this case in a sort of neo-noir and suddenly within within a couple of years and within a couple of films she's doing something completely different so that's that's already showing just how talented she was and proving to audiences that you you never knew quite what you were going to get from Kathleen Turner and I think she maintained that through her career absolutely she's um she's great in this movie and it, it, it was a mini franchise I guess and then obviously went on did a sequel should we talk about the sequel now I think so. I think we can lump the two films together, really, because because the the sequel was came came out the following year, following year. Yeah. So uh, they, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you're going to wait four years and get this team again. You know, it was straight away. I mean, Jewel of the Nile is 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 not. It, it it looks like a quickie sequel yeah. to me, and it it doesn't hold. It, it well, it didn't hold up as well even at the time, and it certainly doesn't now. And I I, I think there's a lot of um, slightly dodgy, maybe slightly racist sort of caricatures in, in in among the background characters, which I think you it seemed to be a bit of a feature of mid eighties cinema, and uh, it's something that that. Uh, that was sort of the last gasp of that sort of thing, I think, fortunately, and it sort of died out ever since. It's it's not often that you get anyone doing a sort of cliché character like that. But uh, but the, the the leads, I think, are fine in it. Douglas and, and Turner make a great team. The slight problem, again, with the script of Jewel of the Nile is it does that thing that people always say about Sherlock Holmes' Hand of the Baskervilles. It separates the two lead characters for early on and for a lot of the film, you know, and you sort of want them to be together. You want them going on adventures together. And there are periods in Jewel of the Nile where they're they're sort of separated and we, we see sort of solo scenes. But uh, it, it looks like what it is, a sort of quickie sequel to a hit. And um, it's nice to watch the two films together. But uh, um, I think if you were watching Jewel of the Nile in isolation, you'd feel a bit cheated and, and maybe a little bit offended by it, you know, in part. Yeah, I think I think the thing that that really stood out to me was just a difference in in, in the, the writers basically. Because yeah. the original the original's written by um Diane Thomas. Yeah. Who I think she sadly died that year. Yeah, because she gets a she gets a sort of acknowledgement at the end of Jewel of the Nile, the, the film sort of dedicated to her. Yeah, I mean so 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 this film's based on her character, but she had no writing input into the script. And I think it shows. I mean, I mean I, I mean it's it's written by two men <laughs> yeah, the star. Yeah. and and that kind of shows as well and i mean particularly shows in the very opening scene because it does in, in the original original romance in the stone they have the fictionalized scene that she's writing in her novel mm. and you have that scene in the in romance in the stone and they repeat it in the second one but instead of the uh, shadowed uh, hero Jesse in the first film. You've got Jack. You know, you've got Michael yeah. Douglas's character playing playing the role in this. Yeah, almost like it's a film version of of the novel that the character's written. You know, and and that Michael Douglas is in the film. So, but I think the thing it completely misses is it, it's mocking. 
And it's not, it's, it's properly mocking romance novels. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the first one doesn't do that. I and it celebrates them. It celebrates them. It, it, it has a bit of fun with the summer con- some of the conventions and some of the tropes. But it, it, its heart's in the right place with it. And I, I don't know whether that's because it's written by a woman and these sequels, they, they were written by men and they were like, oh, it's, it's a romance bit, it's silly. And then they just gone off that on that route. I don't know. But it definitely comes across like that. And it, and it, it, it makes you feel like if you're not taking it seriously, why should I like this character who writes these stupid stories. And I think the first one nails that balance really well. Um, but the second one really doesn't. I think it misunderstands what the first one's about. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that we didn't get a part three, that these characters didn't continue, but that we did get another Turner-Douglas movie. So Hollywood liked the, the pairing. It liked the team of Turner-Douglas and Danny DeVito. But... Jewel of the Nile, the, this this particular bunch of characters ran out of steam. Yeah. Now, to be honest with you, it's whether they had any life beyond the first one, because the first one's literally the story arc is her coming out of her shell, becoming more of a rounded person and take, not living her life through fantasy. And, and you she does can only that. do that once. Yeah, you, should, yeah you, can, you only do that story once and you can't keep repeating it. Um, so, yes, it doesn't really work that well. And I think the we talked about Indiana Jones as being a big influence on these movies. Um, and I think the first one, it definitely has that feel of an Indiana Jones, a 1930s, 40s serial. And this second one does as well. But for me, misses out. it takes the wrong lessons from Indiana Jones. I, I don't think this film can handle it. Ideally, the, 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 the magic elements of it, the ridiculous magic stuff at the end of the movie, yeah, yeah. Um, where you're supposed to believe a la Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, and the, them opening the ark and the spirits of, of the dead coming flying out. You, you're supposed to buy into that. And you kind of do in the Indiana Jones movies, but in this one, I just think it falls flat. I agree. I agree. Um, I mean, the, the directors of the films, I think, signify the success of the films because we've got Robert Zemeckis, an early film for him. But he's already on fire. You know, he's already um, you, you can tell what his career is going to turn into on the basis of the stuff that he was doing in the mid 80s. And then the, the sequels directed by Louis Teague, who's the director of Cujo, yeah. very much a sort of second stringer, second division director and looks like it. You know, this this I'm sure was was Hollywood's gift to him a step up a chance to see what he could do in the big leagues and and he blew it frankly um you know whereas Zemeckis just grabbed the opportunity and ran with it and um and it, it I, I think romancing the stone became sort of indicative of his career whereas Lewis Teague was was sort of out of his depth I think yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, go 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 on to do Navy Seals. You know, that's, yeah, yeah, that's what you, you you're known for. <laughs> yeah, whereas Zemeckis goes on to you know all the great films that we know him for. Obviously, Kathleen Turner has got a, a a talent for comedy. She'd already done um, it, part of those first three movies that she did. She did Body Heat, which established her at the top tippy top of the A list. Um, uh, headliners of, of 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 Hollywood in in eighty one, in eighty two, I think she did Man with Two Brains yeah. with Steve Martin, Carl Reiner film, and then she's Romancing the Stone. So she's obviously got that comedy leaning, and and she does she just go back to that in again again in that sort of like classic Hollywood way. She doesn't do many overt comedies that are not something else as well. 
you know, she doesn't just do straight comedy. She does like a comedy crime film, like Prince's Honor or uh, Undercover Blues. I guess Undercover Blues is probably the closest she came to doing a straight comedy um, with these things. Um, yeah, what stands out for you in a comedy career, obviously, other than the wonderful, wonderful uh, collaboration with John Waters and Serial Mom? Yeah, well, that's uh, you know that's that's towards the end of this this the, the main body of her career, which, as you say, lasted about fifteen years. Before that, I, I think um, you know, all, although she's not actually in the film as such, I think Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a film where she makes a huge impact, doing the voice of uh, Jessica Rabbit, who I think became the the sort of icon from that movie more more than the title started and more than Bob Hoskins did. When when you mentioned that title, I think uh, Kathleen's character the animated look of the character for one thing, but also the, the the voice performance, the vocal performance are what people remember from that film. I think she, I think she rather stole that. Yeah. I mean, I read an interview with her and she said uh, she just moved back to New York and uh, she was asked if people recognize her. And she says, uh, you know, people recognize when they hear my voice, they recognize me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. That's, you know, obviously that's what she's, that's what most people know her for. That yeah. yeah. And, and that, playing a, a femme fatale is right up the street for that voice, I guess. It's like Lauren Bacall. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a story that when, when she was introduced to Lauren Bacall sometime in the 80s, um, Kathleen went up to her and said, uh, hi, I'm the young you. Which, which I, I think, when when you watch a range of her films, is not far off the mark. You know, she she does really come over as a sort of eighties and nineties equivalent of 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 that forties recall, very very much so. And yeah, as we said, her, her films have often got this sort of retro feel to them, and often deal with sort of classic Hollywood themes, bringing them up into the eighties and nineties, but. Her performances do too. I think she fits in to those in in a way that um, it's almost like there are roles that are earmarked for Kathleen Turner that you can't imagine any of her contemporaries being able to play. A one-off, and and that that may be the thing that ultimately sort of hampered her career and meant that there were in because in turn I think there were probably roles that she wasn't suited for. Yeah, I mean, she obviously had some health issues in the early 90s that really sort of like uh, hampered her continuing her career as she had been doing prior prior to that point. She was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in the early 90s and uh, it really hampered her. um, It really changed how she looked in many ways. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, she she was someone who I think the, the business saw as relying on looks even though I don't think she would have seen it that way herself you know and I don't think audiences would have seen it that way no I think if anything I think it's the other way around I think you know some some actors and uh, from from the 80s you think okay they are they're there because they look like they look whereas Kathleen Turner I think I don't think it was ever Obviously, she's 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 a very attractive woman, yeah. but it was. I don't think that was the that when you watch the movie after you finish watching the movie. That's that wasn't what you came away with. No, and she doesn't rely on that either. Whereas you know the industry maybe did and does and continues to with 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 its performers, but she never did. You know, she. Um, I suppose there's one line I can I I can give there that that sort of um, epitomizes that, which is uh, into the mud scum queen from uh, from man with two brains. You know, if she's prepared to do that, 
she's 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 not someone who's relying on her looks is she no not at all literally like the the, the mousy you know playing the mousy character in romancing the stone because it's yeah. not the most flattering thing you first see her uh, uh, first time you see her on screen her eyes are full of tears snot rolling down her face and tissues like oh god it's, like, it's not the most flattering of looks uh, yeah, yeah. you have grace with it's noticeable too across her films. We're going to talk. We're sort of drifting away a bit from the comedies, so we'll come back to that in a minute. But just just to mention, while we're on this sort of subject, it's noticeable, especially when she's doing sort of cop films or action films or the romancing the stone films, that um, she does seem to do quite a few of her own stunts as well. She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, looking at looking at some of the some of the roles that she played, like you say, I can't imagine. I can't imagine other actresses of that time playing. I can't, for instance, I can't imagine Michelle Pfeiffer playing the character in Romance in the Stone. No way, no way. Yeah, no, I can't imagine Meg Ryan playing Serial Mom. Yeah, yeah. Both of those films need that sort of retro feel that we keep talking about. You know, it needs someone who can play old fashioned. And the, the Kathleen was just about the only person who could in, in her day. And and I think that suited the comedy stuff that she did very well. You know, she it's, it's a shame she didn't get to do more um, stuff like screwball comedies because I, I think I think she, I, I suppose War of the Roses might be the nearest she comes to that. But uh, have you got particular favourite comic roles that that she 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 played? Um, I guess Serial Mom is is the one. But again, again, it's not really um, it's not from the, the prime of her her run she was playing a very much a very different type of character in serial mom but i did like undercover blues which was just a couple of a couple of years before and it's kind of been forgotten um herbert ross movie which yeah. she, dennis quaid and they had a similar dynamic on screen her and dennis quaid to her and michael douglas and there was there was that there was something there between them two which i which i which i thoroughly enjoyed yeah, she's she's very good at sparking off with a, a, a male co-stars like that. I think I think with with Nicholson in Pritzy's Honor as well. She you know they make a great sort of um, a, a great team and and really sort of spark off each other. And so they can be sort of antagonistic towards each other, or they can be sort of together as a couple. And I think that applies right the way through these partnerships on screen, which again is 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 something that a classic Hollywood actress would have done. 30 or 40 years earlier. But with, in terms of serial mom, she shows the ability to also lead a film solo, which, which she'd done already in a couple of other things, V.I. Wachowski, which we'll go on to talk about. Undercover Blues, and I, I, I must admit, I've not seen that. So uh, that, that's that's one for my list, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not going to rock your world in a way of like, oh my God, how have I not seen this film? But it's a really solid comedy. And it is of that type in the mid nineties where they were they seemingly introduced babies to every single film in the early nineties and mid nineties. It was like, oh, can we stick a, can we stick a baby in this? Kid, the audience <laughs> loves babies, you know. And they they whack a baby into this. It's like two spies who've retired to raise their baby and get involved in a in a in a situation. You know, it's like classic comedy routine sort of thing. But. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, just she, she's great in it, and her uh, and Dennis Quaid, another actor I quite like, who doesn't feel like he lived up to his potential that he had um, in his career. But they, they, they sparked really well in this movie. I thought, yeah, he's he's almost like the male the male Kathleen Turner in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and also it's like it, it made me realise what Vi Warshawski was missing, and it was missing 
an interesting goal, an interesting male character, uh, yeah. a supporting character. Because we, we, in that movie, we have a very dull male character sparking off Kathleen Turner in that. She's great in it, but it could have done with someone a bit more um, interesting in that movie. Maybe, although I've got, I've got my own take on, on Wachowski, which uh, which doesn't necessarily need a, a, a competent male lead. So, but we'll, we'll we'll talk about that when we get onto a, a, a sort of crime and, and and cop stuff. I think, but uh, let's let's talk about Serial Marne. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, what's obviously you're a big John Waters fan, as am I. Um, yeah. This, I guess, was seen again. It's towards this. It's later on in his career. Um, yes, it is. Beyond the seventies, uh, extreme comedy, um, the, the out, the outrages. Yeah, when 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 he was doing more or less sort of punk punk cinema, you know, before punk, he brought that into the mainstream. He, he he's never ever lost the the spirit of of the filmmaker who made Pink Flamingos. You know, just to say that Serial Mom has got all of the traditional John Waters elements in it, and it's the closest he ever came to actually making a proper horror film as well. It, it collides that into a story of Mom's apple pie. You know, it's it it it's it's brilliantly done. I I just think it works so well, and then it becomes a courtroom drama at the end, and crucially, isn't a boring courtroom drama. The the courtroom stuff is is as wild and crazy as everything else. And Kathleen at the heart of it all is is just brilliant. It's as as you say, Adam. I think her looks were starting to change a bit then, whether through illness or age or whatever, and. I think Kathleen Turner, we always knew right from Body Heat that she was someone who, who would be capable of taking on any role, as we've said, is someone who, who um, would do things on her own terms. And she was always going to turn into one of these actors who might just end up daring to work with John Waters or dipping a toe into that sort of uh, counterculture world. And boy, does she go for it. Well, she wasn't shy about working with people like that, you know, when the opportunity arose, obviously working with Ken Russell in the early, early 80s as well, in a fairly, for the time, outrageous film. Yeah, yeah. Crimes of Passion, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Crimes of Passion. And this, 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 goes to, this goes to another point I was, I was thinking about making, was like, if I was her agent in, in the 80s and the 90s, I, I don't think I would be telling her to take on the roles that she took in many ways, even though it's a great, it, it, it was a great run of films. I, I think, I, I, I think they would play it a bit, bit different. I think working with Ken Russell on Crimes of Passion has got the opportunity to go wrong. Working with John Waters is, 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 is she too young to be taking on mum roles? She starts taking on mum roles fairly early in the, you know, she's like, it must be like 88, 87 when she's playing a mum character. Yeah, yeah. You know, in The Accidental Tourist, and that's maybe the first time she plays a mum, and she's like five or six years into her career here, on, on, on screen career anyway. That's taking the parts that other actresses won't do, though, and which I think was her shtick all the way through her career, was, you know, if, if as you say, Meg Ryan or whoever it may be turns it down, I'll I'll say yes, you know, and uh, I I think that was her whole thing. Um, it's made her into a, a really interesting person to talk about. That's why we're talking about her today, and and we're not talking about Melanie Griffith or someone. Yeah, I think she's so good in Serial Mom. She she's obviously having a ball working with Waters. 
doing all of the murder stuff, doing all of the sort of, uh, you know, innocent glances to camera and, oh, did I get away with that sort of thing? And 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 then the courtroom stuff is magnificent as well. So uh, um, I, I, I think, you know, she's having fun making that film. And I think she, she, she looked as though, Kathleen always looked as though she was seeking out parts where she would have fun, where it would be, um, a, a, a great job. It'd be something that would be interesting to make, you know, rather than just taking uh, any sort of standard female lead that came along. Um, and all all credit to her there. So, uh, but yeah, she is good at comedy. You know, she she gets laughs in Serial Mom. She gets laughs in in a lot of her other films at that sort of level. And again, it's another string to her bow. You know, the the fact that the actress from Body Heat can also do Serial Mom and can do War of the Roses and can voice Jessica Rabbit. You know, there's there's incredible range there, more more than just about anybody else around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. She she was saying she, she was interviewed about the um about the 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 process of getting Serial Mom out there and she said they played the film to the um to the studios and halfway through one of one of the executives turned to her and asked her, Is this a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> and she went, I knew then we were in trouble. <laughs> it was yeah, like- yeah. But you know, she 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 always looked and sounded and came across as someone who knew what Hollywood was like inside out, and she managed to sort of uh, step through that minefield for for twenty years. And I I think she can look back on her life and her career and say, look, I I did what I wanted to. I made the films I wanted to. I never did anything that was dull or boring, you know. And well. You say that. <laughs> now, you say that, but there is one movie that she singles out as the movie that she did for money. Right. And that's Switching Channels with Burt Reynolds. Now, yeah. she famously, on and, and equally Burt Reynolds was famous on, on, on interviews afterwards, they didn't get on at all in this movie. And uh, she said she did it for the money. And, it's, and she hates it because she did it for the money. But she was pregnant at the time. Yeah. Figured, I'm not going to work for a year, so let's just take the money and run. Yeah. And uh, the actual quote, she's, she's come up with, I'm going to state it because it's great. It was supposed to be with Michael Caine, and he got stuck on Jaws 4. So the producer hired Burt Reynolds. And then the, the interview says, with devastating sarcasm, she draws not exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> So I think there was definite tension on that. On that, yeah, yeah. Now, um, of course, we in in the Walter Matthau podcast a uh, short while ago, we mentioned uh, Walter doing a, a remake of the front page with uh, Billy Wilder, and here we've got another update of of that same material. You know, it was interesting to see. One great thing about Kathleen, as we say, is the chemistry that she has with with her co-stars, be it the male lead or often even with supporting players. You know, and I, I think it, it is fair to say that here that that isn't that isn't present. You know, the film does just sort of rather lie lie there. Yeah, apparently Bertie is saying, I'm not taking second place to a woman on that set, which I don't think set him up as being uh, uh, likeable on set. <laughs> with no, and, and, and with the sort of person that Kathleen is, that ain't going to go down well, is it? So. And arguably a bigger star than Burt Reynolds at that point in the definitely, 80s. Definitely, you know, yeah. He, but it he wasn't was... exactly flying high at that point. Not, not at all, not at all. But uh, then again, neither was Michael Caine, so... Uh... No, 
Well, no. There you go. Um, he just won the Oscar, though, hadn't he? So maybe he was uh, aiming for a, a, an upturn at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. I mean, speaking of Oscars, Kathleen only got nominated for one, I think, which was for, for a film we've not mentioned yet. No. Uh, Pe- Peggy Sue Got Married, where she's working with uh, Francis Ford Coppola mm-hmm. and uh, and his nephew, uh, Nicolas Cage. So yeah. uh, She's uh, not fond of Nicolas Cage's performance in this movie. No, no. No, no. The, the, the nasally voice that he puts on for the role. Apparently she went back to the director and went, is he really going to do it like that? <laughs> Are you going to let him do it like that? Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I can see why Kathleen got her nomination for this movie rather than any other. I, there, there are four or five that I'd have probably nominated her for or, or given her an award for. But um, I, th- I think the, the, the business, the film industry, likes the fact in this film. Again, it's another retro thing. She's playing a character in 1960, and it's a sort of weird sort of time travel movie, the year after Back to the Future, where she she goes to a high school reunion and ends up back at high school, you know, after, after an accident. The casting must have been very difficult for that film, to get actors who could play characters... 25 years younger than they actually were. And it, it just about works. I, th- I think Cage and Kathleen just about get away with it. In terms of looks, I think they just about manage it. But I think in terms of performance, she she nails it. And, and I, I think it was that dual role and the fact that she was playing a character 25 years younger in certain scenes that appealed when, when it came to looking at the best actress of 1986. I think it was that side of things that really appealed. Um, and and this, this whole nature of duality was a big, big thing in, in, in 80s cinema, because you, you had, there was like the whole werewolf boom, for instance, and there were a few versions or even comedy versions of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But then you'd, you'd got stuff like Barbara Streisand in Yentl, you'd got... Um, Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria, you'd got Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie, you'd got Steve Martin playing a half man, half woman in All of Me, you know, and, and then time travels back in fashion with uh, with Back to the Future. So, uh, and I think Coppola's always had an interest in, in, you know, weird shifting characters. He did it again years later in uh, Youth Against Youth with, with Tim Roth. And I think I think Kathleen actually really understands this material and really grabs it. And I think it's quite a challenge for her as an actor. One little moment that I love in the film is it's just a very quick shot of her and, and three or four other girls. And I, I think it's the scene where they're watching uh, Nicolas Cage and a very young Jim Carrey as part of a sort of uh, doo-wop quartet who was sort of performing at the at the at the high school. And the girls are all sat on the bleachers watching them. And they're all sort of laughing and joking and having a great time. And it's almost as though Kathleen's character from 25 years later has accepted that she's now in 1960. And she's just sort of having fun. For the rest of the film, it's like, how do I get out of this? How do I get back to my own time? What's happening here? You know. And there's just these odd little moments where it's, hey, I'm a high school girl. And and she's so great in 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 those little scenes, those those lovely little touches. I can understand why the Oscar committee liked her in that particular movie because I think they do like it when when actors 
in their view, sort of pushed themselves. But I think Kathleen's been pushing herself throughout her whole career. Is there any other movies you want to discuss, Daryl, from from this period? Because I think we've covered most of them now. I, I think you, so, you want to yeah. touch on Vial Wachowski? Because I, I think this is a major, major film in Kathleen's career, and it's not a film that's all that well known. Again, it's a solo turn, really. It's a solo female lead. And as you were saying, you know, that it hasn't got strong male characters other than Charles Durning, who comes in and plays the Charles Durning world-weary, world-weary detective, you know, which he can do in his sleep. But the, it's, it's Kathleen's movie. And as I was saying, I know I know you're a big fan of, of that sort of late 30s, early 40s period where there were these sort of um, series of B-movie programmers based around detectives i suppose the 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 famous ones the sort of sherlock holmes um the thin man which is sort of the a-list version of that sort of thing and charlie chan but then you i know you love things like boston blackie and torchy blaine and don't you think vi warshawski plays very much like so it's a very sort of insular very self-contained little movie and for me, it sort of plays a lot like an instalment of one of those series, like The Falcon or Torchy Blaine or, or Mr. Moto or something. And it's really, again, got that sort of retro, early 40s feel to it, even though it's a contemporary set movie. Yeah, no, it feels like it's, it's, it's a few years too late. And not just like from the 1940s, but even like even in the early 90s, those kind of movies weren't being made for the big screen. They no, were no. they were there were episodes of Columbo. They were you yeah. know Murder She Wrote. They were those kind of things. And even now, you know, when when they tried to bring Jack Reacher to the big screen, that yeah. kind of audiences don't really want to see that kind of thing on the big screen anymore. Yeah, well, Shorsky's even got that sort of cable TV type look to it, hasn't it? Yeah, something you'd switch on late night after after getting back from a night out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I do like it. I like the movie a lot. I think it's a nice contained movie and it's got a nice few twists and it's just, the storyline's good. And she owns the movie. She is definitely her movie. And she's, again, playing the role that other actresses of that time probably wouldn't have done she's yes. she's been the pi she's been the private eye so she's you know running down leads she's getting beaten up by um, mob bosses and and taking it and well dish dish and but dishes it out as well you know she's almost playing it like a male character at times but no yeah she's playing it like um marlo or, or someone like that you know someone from like a, a film noir yeah. where they wake up the next morning and their teeth are in a bowl and they've yeah. got a black eye and it's that kind of thing and she's played with, without without the sense that this is a male character that has been rewritten for a woman because I, I think it's, it's based on a series of novels I think yeah it's based on a series of novels by Sarah Paretsky which I think she had a few issues with the, with this film initially um, and, and I can see why I can see why there's still there's still some of that hangover of the 80s and 90s sexist misogynistic writing in there <laughs> woven into the script by some of the incidental characters commenting on her you know I think I think they get away with that in this though because she gives as good as she gets and because she fights back I I, I think it's absolutely valid there where it isn't in Jewel of the Nile you know the film would be weaker without that I think because it gives that sense of confidence conflict and it gives that sense that she's she's not only sort of fighting crime but she's fighting society as well she's fighting to have the right to be a private investigator and there's so much pressure against that and everyone she confronts tells her basically you shouldn't be doing this and she and 
in a in a very Kathleen Turner style. I think I think she must have identified with the Warshawski character quite a bit because it's very like Kathleen Turner. She's saying, "No, I'm going to do things on my terms." I, I think the the film's great. It's the best Chicago movie since the Blues Brothers. It feels rooted in that town. Yeah, and, and what what about that speedboat chase? You know, puppet on a chain, Amsterdam, James Bond. Step aside, you know. Here's Kathleen Turner at the wheel of a speedboat. I wish, I wish it was better directed. Yeah, there, there is, there is that. It, it, but I, again, I'd, I'd give that a bit of leeway and say, you know, because it's got that cable TV late night sort of look to it. Flat direction almost sort of works in its favour for me. I, I, I give this. I love this film so much, and I do give it. A little bit of dew here and there, you know. I can sort of explain away its flaws as as being part of its makeup. Yeah, possibly. I think. I think. I think maybe not. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I do like the film. I like the film a lot. But there's a few. There's a few things in where you just think, why have they done that? Why? Why? I mean, why did? She, I mean, they have the scene at the start. I mean, apparently in the book, she knows the main character who gets killed. Right, it's a friend of a friend sort of character, you know. And in this one, they have it as a one-night stand that she picks up. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just feels really forced that it's a one-night stand that she picks up and then that, that same night, you know, they decide not to have a one-night stand and they'll, they'll, they'll meet again later. That same night, he rocks up on a doorstep with the kid. And it, it just feels really yeah. forced. I, I know what you mean. I, 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 like, I like the whole pick-up bit in the bar because, again, that shows that she's a powerful woman, that she's making her own decisions, you know. Um, she's not going to just sit there and, and wait for guys to sort of come up and buy her a drink sort of thing. But, yeah, then then the, the introduction of the kid and, and the departure of the, the male character, it's plot, really, you know. But as, as I say, rooting this in the world of your Boston Blackies and your Falcons and your Torchy Blames and those sort of 1940s um, detective, you know, series of films... It's got all the same flaws that they had, and so for me, it's it, it works in that retro sense. You know, I'm I'm thinking, oh yeah, I can't, I don't quite buy that, but then I I wouldn't have bought it in a Charlie Chan film either, you know. And because I wouldn't have bought it in a Charlie Chan film, I quite like that I'm not buying it here. You know, it's that it's that sort of connection for me. There's some great lines in the film. I, I love the whole shtick, and presumably this comes out of the books where people keep asking her, what does the V stand for? Or why are you called V.I. Wachowski? And she's always got a, a snappy reply to that or a quick rejoinder to it. There are great lines as well. I, again, I, I assume these these may be taken from the novels where um, uh, in, in reference to a name, um, she, she says, well, um, you, you can't you can't be patronised so easily by men if they don't know your first name, you know. Or there's, there's a brilliant line... Um, which is worthy of a T-shirt or bumper sticker, I think, where she says, never underestimate a man's ability to underestimate a woman. <laughs> and that's that character summed up, I think, yeah. In, yeah. in one line of dialogue. Sadly, it wasn't a hit and we never got more V.I. Wachowski novels because it feels like it was setting her up for a little franchise. It, it does. It's, yeah. it's very much like part one of a series, isn't it? And and I I really wish there'd been more because I think I think Kathleen would have liked to do this. I, I think she likes this character, mm. and I think she'd love to have done more of those. Well, she did two BBC audio 
adaptations of two other books in the VR Wachowski, where she narrated slash played the character again on audio. So, so there's there's a couple more hours of uh, Kathleen Turner's golden voice, then, folks. Yeah, they did they did another two after that with uh, one with Sharon Gless of uh, Agni and Lacey and Lacey fame. Yeah, so not quite the same, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that pretty much covers the main bulk of her Hollywood movie star career. After that, she started transitioning into mum roles in kids' films and uh, supporting roles in films like Moonlight and Valentino and things like that. Um, so still so, so profile, but then she moved into the stage after that and has been doing stellar work on the stage for the last 20 years or so. Yeah, yeah. Now, as film fans, we're sort of lamenting the fact that she had sort of less less than 15 years at the top. But then you put that in perspective and say, that's more than most female stars. Yeah. And the range that she played within these sort of limitations, within these little batches of, as you've said, comedy, crime and adventure movies um she was the queen of those for 15 years yeah and you compare that to her contemporaries at the time you know you got your meg ryan's your michelle pfeiffer's people like that melanie griffith they they only had about 15 years as well maybe 20 yeah. tops you yeah. know, some of them. and i bet i bet they all look at kathleen turner's career and go boy i i wish i'd had the balls to do that yeah yeah there is definitely that so a, a, a great career, and hopefully we'll start seeing her crop up again in in some. She's just she's just the odd bit here and there. She's in the the Michael Douglas TV series that is on Netflix, the Kamalski Method. She cropped up in that a couple, a couple of episodes of that recently. So she's still knocking about, and she's doing a one woman show at the moment on stage. So hopefully that'll make it over to England. Apparently it's um it's uh, controversial. <laughs> she doesn't hold back. Again, that's Kathleen Turner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when we love about it. Okay, great. Well, we'll be back in another couple of weeks with another excellent topic. Uh, thanks, Daryl. Thanks, Adam. Been a pleasure. Thanks again to the BFI and Quad for helping support these podcasts. And we will see you again in a couple of weeks. Take care.